Take your Bibles. Second Corinthians chapter number 10 is where we're going to begin. If you want to go find Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be there shortly. Second Corinthians chapter number 10. My pages are stuck together again. Ah, there we go. I'm going to start this morning with a question. And in all honesty, when I ask the question, I'm not being sarcastic. Have you ever fought with yourself? I haven't met anybody who hasn't fought with themselves. The question is do you win? Okay. Now, in all truthfulness, if we were to study the New Testament, we find after salvation, we now have two natures. All of the problems that we experience as a Christian are a result of that sin nature that we were born with, that we chose to follow, and we've got a lot of practice following. And all the good things that we find in our life that honor God are a result of that new man. That's spiritual nature. And the truth of the matter is, we battle all the time. We live in a world that runs on deception. The world strives to deceive people. Uh, If you have not figured that out, I'm sorry to be the one to break the news to you. If we stop and, and really spend time thinking about everything we know about the world absent of what we know from the Bible, it's all lies. It's all lies. And as Christians, a lot of times we buy into the lies. The Bible tells us to live in the world, but not to be of the world. And yet, when we live in the world, you know what happens? And it's a natural consequence of being alive. We pick up some of the dirt of the world. And as Christians, we have to clean ourselves every day. That's why God tells us to spend time with Him every day, to clean ourselves. But as we begin to study God's Word, and this is, we live in a generation, we'll get there, we live in a generation that thinking is too hard. Okay, a a friend of mine and I were talking about a car problem we had, and he made a comment, or I made a comment, People just don't know how to work on cars anymore. They go to the computer and say, this is the problem. What do I do? And it says, do this. Okay, I'll go over and do that. And come back. What's the next step? Okay, there's no troubleshooting. It's just type the problem in and it'll tell you what to do. All right? Our world thinking is, is, is absent from most of our world's life daily. Understand, Christians have become the same. We are hard-pressed in our generation to find men who thought at the level of Spurgeon and Wearsby and G. Campbell. We, we don't have very many of them. Now, we have the benefit of looking back into history in the past four or five hundred years and reading after these men who just thought on a different level. But why did they think on a different level? 
because they exercise their mind in God's Word. And so this morning, uh, we want to we step back and take a look at our mind. Um, if I'm honest, this is, this is not what I wanted to preach this morning. I had another really cool message I was really excited about. That's not where we're at today. But the reality of it is we have lived so long in this world, we've begun to adopt some of the thinking patterns of our world. And we haven't checked those thinking patterns to say, okay, is this, is this a good thinking pattern, bad thinking pattern? We've adopted it without any question, without any, what does God's word say? And we live under those lies for so long that they, we have struggles. I have struggles determining what really is truth. Now, I know, okay, God's word is truth, but in this situation, I really feel like this is what we should do. I really think this is what we should do. But the question we, not, we shouldn't ask is, do I feel this? Do I think this? But what does God say? You say, well, Mr. Davies, it doesn't address every single thing we face today in God's word. You're right. But God's word has something to say about every situation we're in. And so the truth of the matter is we have to come back to God's word. Here in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter number 10, look at verse number 5 with me. Let's start in verse number 3. The Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word carnal means fleshly. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Understand that the weapons of our warfare are designed for the battle we're in. We don't send our soldiers from the United States into battle with bows and arrows anymore. You know why? That's not going to cut it today. We have weapons that are designed for today. Just like that, we have Christian weapons that are designed for our battle today, the battle in our mind. And so this morning, with the Lord's help, we want to talk about this topic. Fight the battle. It's there. You say, well, Mr. Davies, I don't battle with... with Struggles in my thoughts and in my mind, you're lying or you're ignorant. And I'm not being rude. That's the two choices. Each one of us battles with thoughts. Now, some people battle to a greater extent than others. Some people battle to a lesser extent than others. But understand that you battle in your mind. And as Christians, we ought to be mentally fighting the battle. Not the battle of the lost or the saved, but the battle in my own mind. Father, I need you this morning. Lord, your word is quick and powerful, but I am not. And so, Lord, would you use your word to bring us to the point where you want us to be this morning, to allow us to look not just into your word as a book, but as a mirror, to examine ourselves. Father, would you... Hide me behind the message that you've given. Would you speak to my heart? Would you speak to each one of us? Lord, we need you this morning. We are in desperate need to hear from you. Would you speak to our hearts? We love you, Lord. We thank you for your son, for your word. Help us to value them as we should, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Understand, as we look today at the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians 
And he wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And guess what? As we read, you know what we find about Paul? He battled with his mind. Every time we turn around, Paul is addressing a battle with the mind. He's addressing false doctrine. He's addressing false teaching. He's addressing attitudes and actions that don't match up with God's word. And he constantly brings us to the point where we say, okay, you've got to see the problem, but then we need to address it with God's word. We've progressed so far in, in our Christian walk nowadays that we say, well, you know, Brother Hensley, a lot of the problems that we have in the Christian walk we can't solve. The Bible doesn't tell us stuff, so we've got to go find a secular psychologist to help us out, to help us to understand how our mind operates. Now, I'm the first in line to say you need to be educated. You need to understand how your physical body operates. But I would also be the first in line to say if we're neglecting God and expecting our problems to be solved, we're deceiving ourselves. You see, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now, don't misunderstand. You can't get rid of the battle on your own. It's not in us. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writes this. Romans chapter 7, verse 22 and 23 and 24. It says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What's he saying? I love God's word inside. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. What's Paul saying? I'm battling in my mind and sometimes I lose. And I am serving my flesh. But look at the next verse. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We stop in that verse, and there is no hope. What are we going to do? I can't win this battle. You're right. Verse number 25, but I thank God. That's where the answers lie. And so, as Christians, we need to understand, we're not the first or the last person to face this battle. The Apostle Paul Arguably, one of the strongest Christians that lived fought this battle and lost sometimes. Our thoughts, from the teaching of the Apostle Paul and from the Holy Scriptures, we find our thoughts ought to be infused with God's Word. Our thoughts ought to be Bible verses. When we face things in our life, we ought to have a verse to say, okay, no, this is what truth is. But so many times we say, well, I'm trying. Isn't that good enough? Is it really that big of a deal? And see, these questions deceive us. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But then if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we find that Paul tells us that if we're spiritual, we can judge all things, but we're supposed to judge ourselves with the Bible. Verse number 16 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? None of us have intelligence that surpasses God. But look at the last part of that verse says, But we have the mind of Christ. So we know where to go look. And so this morning, uh, with the Lord's help, we want to we look at what Jesus' thought patterns were like. Now, we're not going to look at Jesus' life. Don't be scared. All right? The truth of the matter is, we could study the Bible and find out how God thinks. But we want to look at this book of Philippians. Now, understand what's going on in Philippi. The, the, the church in Philippi is having a rough go. It's a tough time for them. The Apostle Paul, who's writing the book to Philippi, is sitting in jail. 
And yet when we go back and we look at the topics that are covered in the book of Philippians, joy, unity, peace, and thinking correctly. Those are the four major topics in the book of Philippians. You see, Paul is sitting in the jail. Yeah, well, he, Paul is a special Christian. You know, he sat in the jail, and he, instead of complaining or praying, he just sang. And sometimes we do need to just start singing to fix our heart. But the Apostle Paul's not saying, well, hey, guys, I got this together. You all need to, here's a lesson. Let's learn it and get your, get your life together, your thinking together. We need to move forward. Let's go. What's he saying? No, the situation is bad. You read the book of Philippians. He never says, this is great, guys. Suffering is wonderful. He says, no, this is bad. In chapter number two, we find that he says that all the sufferings have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. It's not, man, life is terrible. It's, life is terrible, but God's doing something. And so we need to have the proper perspective as we approach this. The book of Philippians is written to encourage the believer in their daily battles against the battles that we all face every day. Call, uh, P- Paul excuse me, calls the Christians in Philippi to be joyful, to be united, and to be biblical in their thinking. It's so important to him that the last major statements he makes in the book of Philippians regard the thinking patterns in our mind. The battle in our mind is the most important, most fundamental battle we face. Where does the devil attack us? In our mind. The devil, if you, you go back... Do your homework this afternoon. Go back and study all the people in the Bible, including our Savior, who faced the devil head on. You know where he attacked him? He didn't say, go over there and punch that guy. He didn't say, oh, you just just do what you want. He asked questions that caused problems in their thinking. To Eve, he said, hath God said? What did he say to Jesus? He said, if you, if, if you bow down and worship me, all the stuff you can see is yours. He said, well, is it really that big a deal? I can bow down and not mean it. Well, it is when you start thinking about it. Why? Because that's not biblical thinking. And Jesus returned his response to the devil with a verse. Why? That's where we need to live. I find for us to be successful in our Christian walk, we must be in God's word. So Philippians chapter 4 Turn there if you haven't already done so. Philippians chapter 4. You see, the modern Christian has become a lazy thinker. Why? We don't spend time pondering and studying and meditating on God's Word. We're easily taken in. We easily believe the lies of the devil. And you know who tells us the lies? The world, sure, tells us some lies. But most of the time, we lie to ourselves. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 1. I want you to think as we read through these first eight verses about what The Apostle Paul is emphasizing, this is his closing statement, the conclusion to his letter. He says this, chapter 4, verse number 1, Therefore, my brethren dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The question before us this morning is we want to fight the battle, so how? And I find in verses 6, 7, and 8 of Philippians chapter 4, there are three, three things, not three things, three things that God gives us, commands that will enable us to be the Christians we should be, not in our actions that will come, but in our mind. First of all, I find in verse number 6, one of the tools that we use to fight this battle is our prayer. You've heard it said from this pulpit before that prayer is the most underused and most powerful weapon we have as Christians. Why do we struggle to pray? Because we're lazy thinkers. We are. We don't focus. We live in a generation of attention spans that are so short, we have to constantly be entertained. We do that to ourselves. You ought to think about this. When you say, okay, I'm disconnecting myself from technology. You ought to tell somebody you know that lives with you, your husband, your wife, your kids, we're going to do this and just watch. And watch the trauma that ensues. We're turning all the phones off for the next two hours. People start shaking, walking around. Where's my phone? I think I got a text. Hey, when I go on vacation, that's one of the things that happens. I have my phone on, but it's, unless it's pastor or an emergency, I'm not answering. Why? I'm on vacation. But what do we have to do to keep ourselves busy on, busy on vacation? We have to go, we have to go do stuff. Why? Because I, I, I need something to do. Or what do we do? We sit down and read. Now, I, I hate to be the person to break the news to you, but that's what everybody did 50 years ago. What are we doing for relaxation? I'm reading. That doesn't sound very exciting. Oh, well, it is once you get used to doing that and not. It's something that we train our children to do, to read. Why? Reading's important. But why is reading important? It disciplines us to train our mind, to focus. Why do we struggle so much as Christians with prayer? Because we are so undisciplined. I am so undisciplined. 47 things will pop into my mind while I'm praying. If I'm driving down the road, I'm really not thinking. What am I doing? I'm just driving. You know, there's no brain activity. Just soon as I start to pray, 47 thoughts come flashing into my, oh, I, yeah, I gotta, oh, and I got to do this. And I should text that person over there. I got to do this next week. We get so distracted. Why? We're not disciplined in our thinking. But notice when we talk about prayer in verse number six, what are we referring to? We're not referring to just the act of prayer. We're referring to the praying about a specific problem. The problem is anxiety. Right? We live in a world that has all kinds of medication for that. But the, the problem with anxiety medication is it's not fixing the problem. It's making it quieter. What's the Bible tell us? Be careful for nothing. 
Now, lest you think I'm preaching from a position of authority, I'm not. Okay? I still have the inner temper tantrum when something goes the way I don't want it to do and throw things in my mind, not in real life, right? Because adults are frowned upon if they do that, right? Um, we have this little temper tantrum in our mind, and then, okay, the Lord says, Really? Are you done now? What's the Bible say? This is, why are we supposed to be careful for nothing? You say, but there's so many things I have to worry about in my life. Yeah, but look what it says. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You got a problem? Take it to the Lord. Ask Him to do something about it. And thank Him for what He's already done. And leave it there. Don't take it to the Lord and take it home with you. That doesn't help. Why do we struggle so much with fear in our life? Because we just refuse to turn, turn loose and let go. God can. And we know God can. But it's more fun for me to hold on to this. It satisfies my flesh. All Why? Because our flesh has believed a lie. I have to fix this. And so we find our prayer being the most powerful tool Thankful prayer and thoughtful requests in prayer for God's power and His working in our life will not go unrewarded. I tested this out this morning. I was laying in bed, the alarm had gone off, and I thought, I need to get up. All the pieces in the, in the message puzzle hadn't fallen completely into place. And I'm laying there awake saying, okay, Lord, I can't do this. <laughs> I tried. Didn't work. I need you to put it together. He did. It wasn't me. It wasn't like, oh, I got this cool website. I typed the problem in it. No, God did it. Our prayer, we need to ask God for specific things. If we carry our burdens and we fight the mental battle every day, we will be unsuccessful. Second Timothy verse one, or chapter 1, excuse me, verse number 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That word sound there means based in truth. If your mind's not based in truth, you don't have a sound mind. If our life is not based in God's word, our life is unsound. Our prayer is the first tool we use to fight this battle. But then, second of all, we look in verse number 7, we find that our peace is part of the tool that we use to fight this battle. Uh, Constantly, we are presented with decisions. Now, I'm not talking about the simple decisions, where to eat for lunch, you know, what am I going to order at the restaurant kind of questions. We're talking about questions that have impact our life. And we ought to pray for peace. God, direct me. Give me peace about what I should do. And we should. But I want you to notice something about this peace in verse number 7. The peace of God is qualified by this statement that it passes all understanding. It doesn't quantify that for the lost or for the saved. Sometimes the peace that we have, we can't explain it. Why do you have peace about this? I don't really know. I just do. Why do you have peace? Because God gave it to me. But understand, once we deal with the anxiety we find in verse number 6, and we begin to pray about it, that peace floods into our mind. The peace is what we want. It's what we desire. Psalm 119, verse number 65 said, Great peace have they which... Love thy law. What's the psalmist saying? You know when I have peace? When I live here. See, I struggle with peace. Here's an answer for you. Here's an answer. 
God's peace comes when we rest in him. And the truth of the matter is, God's peace can't be explained by worldly uh, measurements in temporal terms. A lot of times, we can't have peace. We we're not able to explain peace in so many words, except for I know, because God said he would give me peace. Oftentimes, we don't even have a tangible reason for the, for the peace that we have. Faith is what activates peace. Look at what it says here in verse number 7. The peace of God is what keeps your heart and mind. Why do we struggle with anxiety? Because we haven't given our heart and mind to Christ. We battle. I battle every day. If you're like me, these little things pop up. It's like when I'm a little uh, fireworks shows in your head. Boom, problem, 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 problem. You're like, wow, can't deal with that one either. <laughs> oh, a new one. All right? I showed my wife a picture yesterday. It's this person saying, one illogical problem at a time. Okay? It's not possible. We can't do that. But understand, and this, we've told ourselves this lie, the problems are there because I have to solve them. That's not in the Bible. The problems are there so God can solve them. God just wants you to give them to them. You ever done that with your kid? They're fighting with something, and you're just sitting there waiting. Eventually, they're going to give up, right? And then they'll be like, Dad, can you fix this? And sometimes we'll, we'll kind of try to help them along and say, do you need help? No, I'm fine. Okay. If you're like me, when we sit there and watch them beat their head against the wall trying to fix this problem, that's so simple to us. But they can't figure it out. We're like, I could do this for you. It's so easy. Just let me help. And they don't, and they don't, and they don't, and they get frustrated. Sometimes they start crying, they get mad. That's when God says, are you seeing the dots connecting here? This is you. We struggle so often with our peace because we refuse to let God control our heart and minds. Now look what it says at the end of verse number 7. Peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's where this comes from. So then if Christ Jesus is the part that guides us to pray, place our peace in God that will keep our hearts and minds, then we need to learn from him. Verse number eight is a verse I've had memorized for a long time. That's not woohoo for me. The reason why I have it memorized, when I was about 13, the pastor I had grown up preached a message out of this verse. And his title, I almost used it today, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it because I couldn't find the pictures. He called this verse the Jeep Leg VIP. You're like, huh? Look at the letters. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. And so he had a picture of a guy. This is back before technology. So he actually had to draw it on a transparency and display it with a transparency displayer. Okay, so we're, all in, we're in the right time period now. It literally was a stick man with his foot in a Jeep. Burned it in my mind. I got it. But you know what I found? This is the way our Savior lived. He exemplified every part of this. Some of these character traits are inside character traits. Some of them are outside character traits. 
But understand, this is the third weapon we use in this battle. Not just our prayer, not just our peace, but our pattern. We've got to follow a pattern. How do we know what to do? We've done this before. Well, I haven't had victory in this battle. Okay, let's follow the pattern. It's step by step. Look what it says. When we go to do battle, verse number 8, Paul says, finally, now to give you hope, if you go back to chapter 3, the first verse of chapter 3, he says, finally, also. That doesn't mean he's done. This means he's working on wrapping it up. He's the Baptist, okay? Verse number 8, he's finally, and he means finally now, because we're almost done. Finally, brethren. What's the most important part of this? This entire book, and specifically this verse, is written to Christians. If you're not saved today, this doesn't help you at all. It doesn't. Now, you can be helped. It's not that there is no hope. Your hope is Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He died on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins, and he rose again under his own power three days later. Why? To prove he was who he was. That's salvation in its essence, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without him, we have no hope. But with him, we have a beautiful pattern. Let's look at these words. All right? We have to focus on these specific character traits of our Savior. Now, you say, are these the best, most wonderful character traits of Jesus? I don't know that we could say that emphatically because there's so many character traits of our Savior. But understand, once we deal with the anxiety in verse number 6, and once we have peace that reigns in our mind in verse number 7, then we're able to start focusing on getting the victory in there. We have this battle. We're called to fight this battle. We have to train our minds. What do we have to train ourselves to think about? You ready? First of all, whatsoever things are true. You say, so the Bible is true, right? That, that is valid, and there's an application for that. But this word true doesn't necessarily mean truth as in the Bible. It literally means reality. When, when our kids, we still have a couple of kids that are young enough to do this. They have a thunderstorm. The world's going to fall apart. Everyone, you can hear it as soon as the first boom. All the children are running out of the room to mom and dad's room. Why? It's a thunderstorm. Have you ever been hurt by thunder? No. Why are you scared? I don't know. What's the problem? They're not based in reality. Now, we accept that at the age of three, four, five. But if the 18-year-old came running in his parents' room, it's thundering. His dad would go, psh, psh, go back to bed. But the reality of it is, a lot of us don't live in reality. Have you noticed? Hopefully you haven't because you shouldn't watch this stuff, right? But on the TV, reality shows, they're not real. That's like having a cooking show where they buy it from a fast food restaurant and give it to the people. We would imagine that, but it's a reality. It's not reality. Now we're into virtual reality. What's that? That's fake, fake reality. So it's not just not reality. It's fake not reality. Our world is so enthralled with distancing themselves from what really is happening, what reality is, and they've deceived themselves that this is a good thing. It's not. We're supposed to think on things that are based in reality. Where do we find the place to interpret the reality we live in? God's Word. God's Word is the key. We should avoid, we should exclude anything from our thinking patterns that is based on falsehood, that is based on half-truth. 
But not just things that are true. Things that are honest. So you mean not lying. No. What's honest mean? It means respectable. Honorable. We shouldn't be focused on things that appeal to our flesh. This is the battle. This is the battle, right? There's a million examples. Sleep, food, the internet. We all use them excessively sometimes because we want to. Or I deserve this. I've been talking myself, I've been on a diet for a couple well, it's like a month and a half now. I've been talking myself out of pizza for six or seven weeks. It's, I'm starting to run out of excuses why not to eat pizza. I really am. It's a bad deal. All right? I deserve, Josh, pizza. Good pizza. I've even looked up on the internet where the best pizza is within an hour of here, just so I know where I'm going when I have pizza. <laughs> you say, you need help. Amen. I do. But you know what the truth of the matter is? I don't need pizza. I have survived seven weeks without pizza. I should get a, a prize or something. Yes, uh, thank you. All right. Now, the truth of the matter is, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Think, uh, you need to, you, hey, you, I've, I've beat myself senseless about this. You need to think in your own mind what you can't live without. Don't be pious. Be honest. Most of us and we've, we hit this because this is the easiest thing to hit. Most of us spend more time on our phones every day than we do in God's Word. Why are we surprised when we don't think correctly? That's hitting me. You're welcome. You can watch me get beat up, okay? We have to focus on reality. What's true? What's respectable? What's honorable? Things that appeal not to our base nature, but the God-given spiritual nature that we get when we get saved. Look at just. Just means exactly what you think it does. Righteous. Think of things that are right, that are profitable. A lot of times, think about where Paul is. He's sitting in a Roman jail. And if we go back and we start our New Testament, he's sitting there falsely accused. And he knows it. The Roman officials that have put him in jail know it because they admitted, oh, if somebody would give me a bribe, I'd let him go. I know he's innocent, but I can't come up with a good excuse that makes me feel good to let him go. How often do we dwell in, well, you won't believe what happened to me. I was offended, Brother John. I was offended. They said this. They did this. They looked at me that way. Since when are we the ones who become judge, jury, and executioner on everybody that we don't like? That's not in the Bible. Again, where's our thinking based? Is it pure? This word pure literally is the same word when, when, uh, when Jesus wants his church to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's the word pure. Clean, immaculate, without fault. We live in the world. We do. We pick up dirt. We pick up dirt. As, as humans and as adults, we're like, oh, when you go to the bathroom, wash your hands. I just came in from outside. Wash your hands. It's time for dinner. Wash your hands. And how many times do you say, well, I've spent all day at the workplace. I need to spend some time talking to the Lord to wash my spiritual hands. 
We just become accustomed to it. Well, I work construction, you know, and I work with these guys. They're not Christians, so they cuss and they talk about dirty things. But, you know, I just learned to ignore it. No, you learn to be comfortable with it. I speak from experience. We have to clean physically, so why shouldn't we have to clean spiritually? The Bible says we get clean through the washing of water by the word. This cleanliness is vital to our proper thinking patterns. Hey, understand, as I, was, as I was working through this passage, I kept going back, and I almost started here this morning, to that parable of the lady. Cleans her house, because she's got a demon in her house. Right, now, don't get distracted by the demon. That's not the point. She cleans the house. We chase the demon out, and then they come back, and there's seven more with her. And we say, well, what was the problem? She cleaned. She tried to get rid of it. Yeah, but... She, she didn't replace it. Understand that excluding things from our thinking pattern is, is vital, but including things to replace them is just as vital. And if you have tried to quit any kind of habit, understand, I can't just cold turkey and not replace it with something. Something has to replace it. Something has to fill that void. Inclusion is just as important as exclusion. Look at the next one. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are lovely. Lovely. Okay, so the picture in my mind. All right. Uh, you've all met somebody. We don't need to say who it is. All right, because so, it'll be somebody different for everyone. You all met somebody. Usually it's an older lady. And she just carries herself and lives. It, we'd almost say regal, almost queen-esque. Not bossy queen, but just... She's so exactly what we want to be, all right? Proper, loving, kind, cares for people, unself, like the perfect thing, right? And usually it's an older lady who's lived long enough to see enough things to realize that's not my job to whack everybody that comes by because they're out of line. God can handle it. <laughs> but the, 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 really the ideal is, is pleasing, well-favored, Acceptable, it literally means that thing we're like, that's just, it's exactly what it should be. We're supposed to think on things that are exactly what they should be. Not, well, it's close. Well, you know, it's not that bad. It's exactly what it should be. You see, and so the, the Luke chapter 2, verse number 52, you can go back and look at that later, speaks of the, of the Son of God. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. What's that mean? I'm not being sacrilegious, and this is 100% true. He was the complete package. Emotionally, physically, socially, he was the one we want to be like, and we should. That's what our thoughts should be. Now, the farther we get into this list, the harder this is getting. This is not as easy as we thought. Look at what it says next, the good report. Good report. This, this means things that promote good thoughts, that promote good opinions, that cause us to be gracious. If everyone knew what you were thinking, what would they think? Now, the Bible tells us that uh, the Christians should have a good report of those that are without. Those that are not Christians should think about you in a positive way. Not just, well, they're, they're nice sometimes. Well, that one time he yelled at me. No, 
they should think, man, they're, they're good people. And we should be, but there's a reason. It's not us. They understand a good report. Look at this virtue. These last two are literally almost a summary. Okay, so guys, remember, true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. So let's summarize. If there be any virtue, that's the inside stuff. If there be any praise, that's the outside stuff. That's what we're supposed to think about. Virtue literally means excellence, moral goodness. Praise means exactly what you think it does. When someone says, good job, that's praise. That's what we should live in light of. If my Christian life, pastor can come up and say, hey, you're doing a great job. I'm doing something wrong. You say, well, my boss doesn't recognize. Okay, that doesn't mean we should change the way we're living. But as Christians, we got to fight this battle. So if anything I'm thinking about is not virtuous and would not bring praise to the name of Christ, it ought not be part of my thinking pattern. Now I'm telling you, I'm not preaching at you. I'm telling you what God worked me over about. You see, our thinking pattern sometimes is so bent out of shape, we cannot live for Christ. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You say, well, I can think about bad stuff and it won't come out on the outside. You're lying to yourself. Again. Now, I want to ask this question, and this brings us back to verse number 7. But in verse number 8, we're told of specific things to think about, specific things to focus on, specific things to guide our mind towards. And anything that doesn't fit through that filter, we get rid of. It becomes an unwelcome thought in our mind, and we dismiss it. We get rid of it. We send it out. And we think about those things in verse number 8. But where does this thinking lead us? You say, well, to be a good Christian. You missed it. Where does the thinking lead us? It leads us back to the end of verse number 7. Because if all of these thinking patterns are found in our Savior and we think this way, it leads us straight to Christ, which should be our focus. Christ should be our focus. It leads us away from unworthy, unhealthy, unbiblical thoughts. And when we live and we think biblically, we have the strength, we have the focus, we have the power to do great things for God. But it all begins in our mind. In our mind. When we first got saved, what did we battle with? We battle with not cussing, not drinking, not punching people. Not yelling, not getting angry, right? all these things that are outside problems. And if we got saved and then started going to church right away, we began to see, nobody else is struggling with this. What's the problem? I need to get rid of it. So what do we do? We make sure it stays inside. We don't want it to come out. We keep it inside. We don't want to be that person. Everybody likes, oh, that's Mr. Davies. He's, he's new. He's a little rough around the edges. He isn't completely sanctified yet. But the truth of the matter is, if we battle with it on the inside or we battle with it on the outside, the battle's the same. The battle begins on the inside. We get victory over the fruit, but we haven't dealt with the root that's on the inside. You see, we have to really, we, we have to sum up what are we focused on. Are you believing the lies that your brain feeds you, that you've accepted for so long? Do you struggle to determine, is this truth or is this not? 
I've found very few people that really struggle against, is that what you're telling me true? Almost every Christian I've talked to said, no, I know it's not true, but. What does that mean? I know what truth is, but I choose to go a different direction. When something happens, the first instinct is always, oh no, what are we going to do? And the first reaction should be, I don't know what we're going to do, but God has this under control. You say, well, Jesus knew what was going to happen in his life, so he didn't have to struggle with that. I disagree. The Bible says he was tempted at all points, like as we are, yet without sin. That means that there were situations presented to Jesus where that flesh would try to rise up and say, man, I don't know, this, uh, this may be unsolvable. <laughs> what did Jesus start doing? Now, you, you will never convince me that Jesus didn't quote Scripture to himself. He quoted it to the devil. Where'd that come from? Right here. So he's quoting verses to himself, just like Paul did, just like we should. Have you waged war against your mind? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we read this, verse number 5, it says, Casting down imaginations. Imaginations are things that are not real. Things that are not valid. It'd be wise of us to step back and consider, what do I spend time thinking on? And then examine that. Is that real? Is that reality? Because most of the time, it's not. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself. Reminds me of the devil before the creation. He wanted to be like the Most High. So do we. And we say, no, this is important. Even if we know it's not true, this is important. It's not. No, it is. It's very important. I can't deal with this. You're right. But we're supposed to cast down every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Where does the knowledge of God come from? It all comes back to the book. We have to bring into captivity every thought. That, is, that word captivity is a term of war. It means we took prisoners in our own mind. When that thought comes flying in, no, get out. You say, you say to yourself that? Sometimes I do, yeah, all the time. No, no, that's not, no, you don't belong here. This is God's area, get out. And sometimes I don't say that. And then I end up, Lord, I'm sorry. Understand, if we can bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, we can see victory in our mind. It is possible. We've trained ourselves for so long to say, this is just my battle. This is what I struggle with. I, this is my cross to bear. No. This is what we've grown used to. You may not realize this, but most people who deal in establishing truth, not in the spiritual realm, but in the, in the, in the carnal realm, bank tellers, Mrs. Perkins can tell you this. Ms. Perkins, when you went to be a trained at the bank, did they show you a bunch of counterfeit bills? They say, here, look at all these counterfeit bills, feel them, feel them. Or did they say, okay, here's money. And then when a counterfeit bill shows up, she's like, this, something's not right with this one here. This has got issues. We need to check this out. You know, get the pen out. How do we know somebody's lying? Because we know what the truth is. Yet we've become so accustomed to believing the lies 
We can't distinguish truth in our own mind. We can't. We don't have enough experience. Because we have chosen. Hey, can I encourage you? It's possible. We can win this battle in our mind. We have to fight. What's our goal? Let this mind be in you, Philippians chapter 2, which was also in Christ Jesus. When we focus on Him, the impossible becomes reality. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning.